This is Viterbi Voices, your chance to hear stories about research, classes, student life, and more. Directly from our students, faculty, and other members of our engineering community. All right here at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. Welcome back into Viterbi Voices. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Paul Ledesma. I'm the Director of Undergraduate Admission at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. And my name is Audrey Roberts. I'm a junior studying mechanical engineering here at USC. Well, here we are. Uh, again, another remote recording. Uh, I'm here at my home in Redondo Beach uh, near the LA area. And Audrey, you're in Denver, right? Yep. How is the weather in Denver right now? Um, it is really nice. It's supposed to snow this weekend though. So pretty classic, um, spring weather for Denver where, um, it gets warm enough that all of your, uh, trees flower and then it freezes and everything dies. Trees flower, everything freezes and it dies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been similar. I mean, it's been cold and rainy. Um, I know we, so this is, we've been putting out a lot of episodes lately because there've been a lot of our faculty roundtables, but this is back to kind of our normal thing here. Uh, and I, have been lamenting on those intros that it's cold and rainy and I want it to be sunny. Um, but anyways, this episode, what is this episode all about? Yeah. So this is an episode that checks in with USC's rocket propulsion laboratory, which is one of our student run design teams, um, that I'm a part of. And this is actually the second episode I have done on RPL. And I believe it's the third one we have. Um, But the last one I did was in December 2018. So it was before um, USC Rocket Lab became the first um, student group to launch a rocket to space, um, which happened um, last uh, spring. So Mm -hmm. obviously that's a really big accomplishment. So we talk a little bit about that. Um, But a number of things have happened since then, since that was um, quite some time ago now, too. Um, They launched another rocket. Um, called Poise, and um, there's been a lot of developments in the avionics system, which is the team I work most closely with. Um, so that was really exciting. And then also we do address sort of how RPL is adjusting to this transition of being remote. Um, I think, you know, uh, we're not at the lab all the time, right, as students go home. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done. We're still having our meetings um, via Zoom, and it's just kind of a focus more on research and design work other than many rather than manufacturing. Right. Cool. Lots of stuff to talk about with USC RPL. I'm excited to get this episode up. So if you have any interest in rockets, space, aircraft, aerospace, mechanical, astronautical engineering uh, is a really good group to hear some stories about. So let's get out of the way and hand it off to our students to talk about RPL. So thank you all so much for being here. I'm super excited. Um, So the last podcast we did on RPL was back in December 2018 um, with Lauren and Connor. Um, So it was like mainly avionics related, um, but I'm really excited to have a bunch of different people working on different things um, for USC's Rocket Propulsion Laboratory now. So can each of you just introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Dakota. Um, I'm a sophomore studying astronautical engineering, and I'm more on the manufacturing side in RPL. My name is Ava. I'm currently a junior studying astronomical engineering, and I'm the lead propulsion engineer at USC RPL. 
Hi, my name is Lauren, and I am currently um, a senior studying astronautical engineering, and I am the current avionics lead of USCRPL. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And then um, can one of you um, briefly explain what Rocket Propulsion Lab is at USC? Sure. Yeah. So I think the, the essence of Rocket Propulsion Lab was established about now going on 15 years ago, and really it's this precipice for designing a rocket that would then be sent to space to really to become the first undergraduate student organization that completely designed and manufactured in-house a rocket that went to space. Um, Fortunately for us, uh, since we last talked, we actually did become the first undergraduate rocket group to reach space. Uh, We hit the Kármán line with the flight of Traveler 4. So in the interim, we've more or less been recasting the goals for this lab, but the essence of it is the same in that we take a bunch of interdisciplinary engineers, um, largely concentrated in mechanical and aerospace and astronautical with, again, some of the EEs and um, CS students kind of on the avionics side with what I do. And we all work together to build really the best rockets system that we can as an overall architecture. So right now we're kind of in between goals and recasting what we want to do as a lab. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, so um, as Lauren said, since we last spoke, um, I guess, Almost a a year and a half, two years ago now, um, USC RPL did become the first um, team to make it to space um, with Traveler 4. Um, Dakota and Ava, do you guys want to talk a little bit about your experience with that launch? I know Dakota at the time, you were a freshman, correct? What was that like? Yeah, so coming into lab, um, I first joined when Traveler 3 was launching. Um, And obviously, due to some difficulties, um, we weren't able to verify the apogee of that launch. But um, with Traveler 4, I was able to jump right into the build process. Um, I helped with a bunch of composite layups. Um, I helped with casting the propellant for the motor, for integration. Um, And generally, it was just an awesome experience getting to, like, be a part of a team that can send a rocket to space, even a small part. Um, was still awesome. And I learned a ton doing that. Thank you. And then Ava, um, can you talk a little bit about your experience with Traveler 4 as well? I know Dakota mentioned some key sort of terms, I guess, for um, propulsion for um, RPL's rockets, um, a lot of which he talked about casting and we make all of our own propellant, which is really unique. Um, Can you maybe speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Dakota did well in comparing and contrasting Traveler 4 with Traveler 3. Um, And going into my freshman year at USC, it was the widely held belief that Traveler 3 would be the end-all, be-all, you know, the space shot rocket. Um, And so going into my freshman year, uh, we went casting, which is uh, essentially propellant manufacturing um, at an off-site facility away from campus. Um, From there, we would static fire the flight motor in February of... 2018, I believe. Um, And then from there, it was expected that Traveler 3 would launch in May of my freshman year. Um, The launch was delayed. And as Dakota noted, um, we weren't able to get a Apogee estimate for that launch. Um, But what we did was validate the flight motor, um, qualitatively determined that the burn in the first few seconds of Traveler 3's launch um, looked nominal, um, with no real data coming from that, but just as a qualitative view. Going into Traveler 4, 
um, my focus was more based on recovery um, and specifically testing and integrating the recovery subsystem to ensure safe descent and protection of the vehicle as well as its uh, avionics unit. So going in, there was always this kind of expectation that what I would fly, what I would work on would fly and be integrated in a manner which I guess I didn't expect when I first joined my, in my freshman year, it was, what was really surprising was like the, the level of dedication um, and perseverance that I don't see often matched in other undergraduate teams. Um, And so going into Traveler 4 and having that experience where you're in the middle of the desert, um, launching this rocket with a bunch of students, just as crazy and persevering as you, um, it was truly, truly spectacular. Yeah, I think um, anyone can imagine what an insanely cool experience that is, not only to see a rocket um, be launched to space, but also have such a big role in um, making it. So just some quick specs, I think, on Traveler 4. Um, I think RPL publishes all this information pretty readily, but um, its apogee was around 339,000 feet. Um, And a lot of determining that apogee was um, some sort of data processing work and really um, uh, involved, (laughs) um, I guess, from the simulations teams and et cetera. Um, That was largely simulations with, I believe, Connor Hayes, like being the pure avionics contributor from that side. So I did not actively um, really determine the final apogee, though I know what they did so I can speak to the process. So um, effectively, we as an avionics team deal with a very unique set of issues in that we are launching an incredibly high performance vehicle um, to space, which is a relatively, you know, high altitude, right? Um, And we're going Mach 5. Uh, So we when we are looking to piece together a flight computer, right, we run into a difficult situation of we're not compliant by our ITAR regulations. And that's something that's kind of core to our value system and our beliefs and that we don't want to exclude anyone from the organization by buying into those ideals. Um, right. We, we wouldn't be able to work with international students or non-foreign, non-U.S. nationals, I guess. Um, so with that, we are restricted in a flight computer sense, which kind of turns into this weird question of, OK, well, how do we determine where the rocket is? Um, so our flight computer is a pretty much, um, like artisan (laughs) pieced together set of components and redundant components that give us a series of numerical readings that then we can back out to determine a final flight apogee. And you'll notice, um, in the final white paper that came out for T4, uh, it's a 90% confidence window with a 10% uncertainty, um, which I'm sure raises some eyebrows, right? Like, why are we 90% confident we hit the apogee we say we did? Well, so what we did from a flight computer perspective is we have a series of um, parts known as, or rather, we have a sensor called an IMU, which is pretty much industry standard. It's an inertial measurement unit, and it's good at recording values for a six degree of freedom space um, and specifically like acceleration values. So right? When you, when you have acceleration values for the duration of the flight, you can then back integrate twice to get position. Um, the interesting part about this, though, is because these readings are pulled rapidly, um, we can accumulate a pretty good picture of where we are. But as you integrate backwards, right, and this is where the Calc 1 and the Calc 2 kind of comes back to bite everyone, you have this additional like integrated term that comes into play every time you integrate instantaneously, right? It's that plus C factor that we're all dealing with. 
um, or whatever you call that variable. And that increases, um, and that's something known as drift, right? So the way that we determine Apogee is by back integrating our data. And with that, we bite off a relatively large error margin. So that's what took so long. It was determining this, um, the method by which we'd integrate to get the narrowest margin of error based on all the sensors that are sitting in the flight computer, right? So that's why um, the final production of the flight Apogee took roughly a month and then had to be qualled by the AIAA in order to give us the final U-hit space. Wow, that's awesome. It really, really shows us all. Calc, Calc 1 and 2 are going to come back to get you. They really will. <laughs> um, so obviously this is a huge accomplishment, um, and I know um, the lab um, deservedly so has gotten a lot of accolades for it, but since um, that time, uh, a lot of other stuff has occurred in lab. Um, one of it, one of which was the launch in January 2020 of Poise, um, a different vehicle, and then also some uh, current design work um, that I know Dakota's been involved in. So, Ava, would you like to talk a little bit about the launch in, in January Poise? Sure, absolutely. I can speak to more of the propulsion side of Poise. Um, with our sophomore year, our goal for um, the propulsion system of the poise vehicle would be to um, cast or manufacture propellant, which would be portable. Um, in contrast to how we normally make our motors for traveler class vehicles, which would be uh, roll propellant into balls safely um, and then pack them with uh, G10 rods into casting tubes. Um, but our plan was to make manufacturing more efficient um, and to increase the density of our propellant grains for poise. Um, so beginning in fall of 2018 um, to about April in 2019, that whole time frame was set aside to test different uh, propellant formulations, um, measure their densities, get a qualitative view of their viscosities, from their static fire, a potential flight vehicle, um, characterize your propellant, get your AN values, integrate that into a vehicle, and then launch. Um, and so on. in January of 2020, as you said, we launched a poised flight vehicle with a nominal burn seen through flight. Great. Thank you so much. And as Ava kind of mentioned, Poise was um, started as a sophomore design project, which is, I guess, I guess the best way to say it is sort of almost a tradition in RPL where the sophomore class um, works on developing um, some sort of useful technology um, for the lab, which in this case was this portable propellant that Ava talked about. Now, Dakota is currently a sophomore and has worked a lot on uh, a current sophomore project, um, which is a Finisil design for the um, motor. Dakota, can you talk a little bit about that? Okay, so the... The goal of this year's sophomore project is to develop um, a few things. So personally, the project I'm leading is called Finisil. Um, and what that means is fins on a cylinder. And basically, in the past, we've used a Bates grain geometry, which um, gives you a neutral burn profile. And generally, you want to design everything to, to one burn profile because it has the same characteristics throughout the time that the motor is burning. Um, with, with Bates... Um, 
it requires you to manufacture the propellant in separate grains um, and then stack those together. Um, and so the thing with that is that you have these casting tubes that you're casting into, and then you put all of that into another tube, and all of these tubes add weight to your rocket. Um, what Finisil allows you to do is it allows you to get rid of the tubes and it allows you to just have one long grain and you can still get a neutral burn profile from that, um, which is the goal in all of this. And so along with uh, this other project, Case Bonded, which allows you to remove the liners um, around the propellant and just cast directly into the case, you're able to save a ton of weight on the rocket. Um, and so the goal... With, with basically all of these projects come together um, along with vacuum casting, which is another improvement on the, um, the process from Poise where they extrude the propellant. Um, they all come together to try to f make our propellant as good as it can be and also make our motor design even better um, as time goes on. And hopefully the goal with this is to take all of these improvements and all of these weight savings and put it into a rocket that can be a six inch space shot instead of an eight inch space shot, um, which is the diameter of the rocket. Um, just to see if we can get everything so good that we can get it to space on a significantly smaller scale than we did with Traveler 4. Great, great, thanks. And so obviously um, you guys have kind of gone through um, the developments with Traveler 4, but then a lot of stuff that, um, the lab is currently working on. And um, I think probably everyone knows by now that um, we're attending school remotely, meaning most of us, if not all of us, are not really on campus anymore or in the area. How has this affected how you're able to um, develop the, the current projects that you're working on? Uh, so a lot of some of our projects are currently getting ready to go into the manufacturing phase or are already in the manufacturing phase. Um, with Finisil specifically, we were planning on having a static fire pretty much the weekend of spring break. But unfortunately, that um, that changed when the when the quarantine started happening. Um, but right now, there's still a lot of work being done for um, designing a flight vehicle for my class. Um, that hopefully will incorporate all three of those projects because we haven't gotten to that point yet. And there's a lot of design being done for things like vacuum casting, such as um, scaling up to um, a size for an actual flight vehicle and then case bonded, um, figuring out how we're actually going to um, manufacture a motor that is one grain instead of like doing it in sections. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also a project called head end ignition um, where there, it's more in the research phase right now where we're trying to um, basically make our ignition system more efficient and more reliable. Um, and that's in the research phase. So there's a lot of work being done there as well. Um, since we're not, since we're still designing things. Right, right. Great. Thank you. And then Lauren has avionics um, been able to continue um, some of their work, even though that we're uh, no longer together. Yeah, definitely. So from an avionics perspective, I mean, this is, it's incredibly detrimental to be just away from the team and not have like a localized um, meeting place. But we are blessed in that avionics is really not that affected by things like this, just by the nature of most of our work. Um, you know, most of our work is either 
coding or um, using Altium tools to build up PCB boards or um, using NX for the structures design. So I know that through each of our sub teams, there's a, there is a significant amount of work being done as of currently, namely to finish out the avionics unit for Dome Piercer, which is the next solid space shot um, that was slotted to be flown at the end of this semester, but obviously due to kind of the state of things right now, will be the, hopefully this coming fall. Um, so I know the structures team is hard at work uh, putting the final finishing touches on what the avionics unit's going to look like for that flight. And then for a lot of it too, and I think I can speak for lab as a whole on this one, it's a great time for like research and development work. So for us, um, I'm super, super incredibly proud of the avionic team and Audrey's a part <laughs> of this team too. So I'm gonna shout out to our lovely interviewer here. Um, but this team has been so fantastic. I mean, I, when I started, it was literally like five people and now we're hovering around 40 to 50 and just the bandwidth that has come on board and the amount that people want to contribute to kind of building out these projects has put us in a position to where we no longer are really struggling with the flight computer in a way that we used to. Um, so actually, as of the end of the semester, we'll be done with what a flight computer for a solid rocket vehicle is really going to look like, uh, which is insane because that's been really the the entire past 15 years of this lab has been struggling to, you know, reach a stable state of this computer. And what that means for us is that there's so much more bandwidth for other projects. So I think the, the one I'm going to call out right now is for the first time we're starting to entertain the idea of what it would actually look like to bite off control theory on a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that we're actively looking into, you know, what it would look like to do some sort of RCS system or, you know, I say reaction control system. So things like, um, tiny, like various nozzles and pulsers for cold gas or hot gas or, um, like TVC. So thrust vector control, which is a way, way off. But I know right now, kind of what we've been talking about with some of the current sophomores as well as there seems to be, or some of the sophomores coming up next year, is that there is interest in integrating something like a reaction wheel. So starting to really bite off what these control systems look like from an electronics perspective has a lot of new people interested. Um, So I'm super excited to see us grow kind of our electromechanical interface um, moving forward. So there's a lot of exciting things going on in the electronics world. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. And one thing um, that you touched on was sort of the growth of this team. Um, And I want to have you guys all speak about um, this in particular, because I think a lot of times kids come into college, maybe nervous about um, finding a community for one, and then also nervous about a lot of um, maybe clubs or organizations might have applications and sort of, it just becomes this additional competitive thing, but RPL is really open to anyone. Um, What do you think that builds into the culture at RPL? I can definitely speak on this if we want to do like a round robin because I'm sure everyone that would has be great. like a here. Okay. Um, well, something I really like about RPL and, you know, through through its ups and downs as every sort of the Turby organization will have just on account of it's such a social structure as much as it is like a, a lab for work, right? Um, but the thing that I kind of more or less beat over the head and I really enjoy about this lab is that at the end of the day, no matter what, it's best idea wins. Like I I tell all the avionics freshmen that come on board that the only difference between where I am and where they are is that I've just been on the team longer, but there's nothing fundamentally different. I'm also a student, right? I may have more experience, but that doesn't give me a leg up in any way. Um, So I think in establishing culture here, and we've managed to do so with a massive amount of people, it's 
it really boils down to like everyone's idea is heard and the best idea is going to win, even if it's crazy. Because I'm going to be honest with you, like the entire premise of rocketry is based on people having crazy ideas, right? And so I that was like that was something I found incredibly attractive when I first joined, and I'm hoping can continue throughout the lab in the coming years. Um, thank you, Warren. And then Dakota and Ava, um, do you want to add on anything to that? Hey, y'all, sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know that we have a number of campus visit programs available to you right now. If you want to check out what campus is like, if you want to learn more about the Viterbi School of Engineering, go to viterbi.link slash visit. That's V-I-T-E-R-B-I dot link slash visit, where you can learn about our Viterbi visit experiences that happen on most Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have some virtual events that happen on occasional weekdays and occasional Saturdays. Plus, we have some transfer virtual admission sessions where you can learn all about how to get those courses ready for transferring. We want to meet you. We will have lots of opportunities to do it and it's happening all summer long but get your registration in now at viterbi.link slash visit hope to see you soon um yeah something something that was crazy to me is um i was i'm from new jersey and so when i flew to when i flew across the country to usc i had no clue what to expect um i'd basically given up on all of my friends not given up on but you know like i i hadn't I wasn't able to talk to my friends back home. It was in a completely new environment. Um, I didn't have any friends. And I joined RPL on a whim um, because one of my friends told me that I should come to one of the meetings. And from there, it's completely become like a family to me. Um, all of my best friends are in lab. Everyone I talk to is in lab. Um, and even though like, you know, we're, we're coworkers and we argue and we fight sometimes, um, we're still at the end of the day, we're all super close and we all hang out. Um, and I think that's awesome. It's, it's definitely become, um, a family to me for sure. And I've only been here for two years, so I can only imagine how it'll be at the end of my senior year. Yeah, that's great to hear. What about you, Alba? Absolutely. I, I would definitely agree with Dakota. I think, Maybe from an outsider's perspective, it might be difficult to see why this undergraduate student laboratory would inspire really close bonds and ties between people across across uh, school years, um, between people who have graduated and people who are currently still going to school. And I think it comes down to mentorship and capability. I think what was powerful for me as a, as a freshman um, who hadn't taken an engineering class yet, um, whose biggest rocket she ever launched was maybe like a, a you know, three three inches in diameter, a foot tall, maybe. I, I think in terms of... that you had done that before, but... <laughs> I mean, they were, they, were, they were pretty tiny model rockets. <laughs> Definitely not on the scale of, of lab. Um, but it, it, it boils down to mentor- mentorship and capability and the capacity to create bonds between students in order to work towards a common goal, right? To be able to work with people who have different disciplines, different points of view, um, different management management styles, different modes of engineering, and being able to be fluent in how everyone speaks and relates to each other, be able to to translate technical concepts into 
concepts that people from any background, EE, Meki, um, Sims can understand. And with all that, still have the capacity to be friends and to bond and know that when you're working on a part, whether it be a composite layup, you're at a static fire, you're at a launch, you're with this intensely close social group that also doubles as this professional group with um, profound depth, I think, in terms of organizational history as well as capability. Well, thank you all so much. I know, um, you know, it. RPL is such a great organization, and um, I'm really grateful, at least, um, to have this uh, at USC. I think, as you have all said, it's brought tremendous um, growth for students in terms of technical capability and also just that community as well. Um, is there anything you guys would like to add? I don't think so for me. No? That's okay. Cool. Well, I think we we basically covered it all. So thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. All right. And we're back. That was a fun episode for me to record, um, not only just to get to chat with some of my friends, but um, there's so much work that goes in with RPL. There's, it's fun for me to hear about uh, what people are working on as individuals as well. Totally. It's a complex group. People just think, oh, you build a rocket, but there's all these different sub teams and everything is just very, very complex. And again, the engineering to fit things into those small spaces is really, really challenging, right? Definitely. So um, over the past year, kind of what I didn't talk about this during the episode, but um, what I, the team that I've worked on, Lauren is on the episode and she was also on our previous RPL mm-hmm. episode and she's the avion- the current avionics lead. But which, of course, so if you're if you're interested in computer science or electrical engineering or computer engineering, this is an incredible team to be a part of because we design our own flight computer entirely like we're laying up these PCBs by hand. It's really incredible. Um, But from a mechanical perspective, too, um, you have super delicate components that need to fit into a small space um, and need to be able to sustain pretty extreme conditions. Um, So on Traveler 4, which was our space shot, I mean, we saw spikes of upwards of 40 Gs. So that's really, (laughs) yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So securing these components mechanically is a challenge. But beyond that, um, we also spoke with our propulsion lead, ABBA, and propulsion is really unique at at RPL as well um, because we do it all ourselves off site, off campus for safety reasons. Um, But it's pretty explosive stuff. Yeah, but we have our own um, propellant mixture and propulsion's not something I've really ever been involved in, but I think that's the cool part about RPL. Like all these different people are working on such different things and it's a great opportunity to learn about something really different than your field because so much goes into to making a rocket. <laughs> now, before you came to USC, were you like really into rockets? Yeah, before I came to USC, I was like really interested in aerospace. It's all I really wanted to do I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever and I think conceptually this idea of space um, beyond the engineering has always really interested me but a student doesn't need like rocketry experience to be involved no totally not so it was kind of funny during this episode Ava our propulsion lead she was talking about she's like oh I had only launched these really tiny rockets before I came to USC I was like 
at least you had launched a rocket. Like for me, I didn't have, um, like it was an interest of mine. I followed like space news and stuff like that before I came to USD, but it wasn't like I was, you know, engineering any of these things. And that is also, I think, I think the coolest thing about RPL in particular is that this group is open to anyone. There's no application. You can join at any time of the year. And that's really core to the ethos is that, um, anyone who's willing to show up and do the work is welcome in the group. Even if you're not an engineering major, there are a couple of business majors. I know it's, it's not about that. It's just about doing cool stuff. So. Well, awesome. Well, this is a great example of hands-on design team work and beyond uh, rocket lab. There's a number of other design teams. You can go back to our archives and listen to other episodes related to steel bridge and civil engineers and our, uh, Formula SAE uh, uh, racing team. Uh, we've got uh, chemical engineering uh, design teams. What are, what are some others? That- yeah, I mean, even as a mechanical engineer, I can think of so many that you could join. There's Aero design team, which is kind of like a small RC plane that they design. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's like a solar car team. There's Formula SAE. SAE. Um, so there are a number of car teams. There's like a um, there's Robo Sub. So they make they compete with uh, small underwater submarines that they design. Um, there's Aspen, which is a nuclear propulsion group that has just started. Um, there's like concrete canoe for civil engineers. I mean, I, the design team culture at USC is really cool just because not because they're, well, there's so many options for one. And then I, I think everyone's just doing really great work also. Yeah. Lots of options. Thank you again, Audrey. Great episode. Always great to hear about the explosive stuff going on from the rocketry group. And that's it for my jokes. (laughs) Yeah, it was a fun one.